Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the Final Furlong Podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. Welcome to the show. It is great to have your company as we build up to a stellar weekend of racing. The highlight, obviously, the King George VI and Queen Elizabeth Kipko stakes, where dual derby winner August Rodin will rematch with Royal Ascot hero King of Steel, taking on last year's Coronation Cup winner Huckham, Oaks winner Emily Up. John, Irish champion stakes hero Luxembourg, last year's Irish derby winner Westover, and the defending champion Piledriver. It is a stellar cast assembled for a mouth-watering clash, and you're about to hear from Piledriver's trainer William Muir. Before we get into the full preview, you can win yourself a £50 one-for-all gift voucher right now, simply by tweeting us something you've already done, your subscription to the Final Furlong Podcast. If you're subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, CastBox, whichever podcast app it is you listen to the show on, tweet us an image of that, at Radio Emmet, at Final Furlong Pod, or you can DM us on Facebook, Instagram, or via email, a screenshot of you subscribed or following the Final Furlong Podcast, send that into us, and we will announce the winner next week. Before we talk to trainer William Muir, let's introduce you to two new members of the team. First of all, welcome to the Final Furlong Podcast, John Vine. Thanks, Emmett. Thanks for having me. Tell us a bit about yourself, John. Introduce yourself to the Final Furlong Podcast Army. I'm the editor and the tipster for RacingInsider.com, and I'm really looking forward to the King George. I mean, um, it's a fantastic lineup for the race. It's been quite a while since I was on a podcast. The last podcast I was on was when Bouvardier beat Sam Kerr in the Fighting Fifth. <laughs> so uh, I might be a little bit out of practice. <laughs> interesting introduction there we might reminisce on that race a little bit later on maybe even Nikki will make a, another per- appearance on the podcast it's been a while since we did a Nikki impression uh, also joining us is Stephen O'Dwyer Stephen welcome to the final front podcast thanks man, for having me Evan. great to have your company Stephen give us a brief introduction um, so I work with a company called Trojan Track and we do movement analysis and racehorses. So for the past two years, I've been staring at the, the TV screen, watching the horses before races and stuff and trying to use my knowledge there to the best of my advantage. Does that involve stride analysis? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so we do gait analysis. So at the moment, we're doing doing it for welfare issues. So injury analysis that when the horse is in training, we record them twice a week, see if there's any imbalances creeping into their gait and then notify the trainer that they could do something about it. That's that is class. It's amazing the way technology is moving the sport forward, but also the way it's being embraced by so many different trainers as well. I mean, that kind of stuff sounds like it's it's invaluable. Yeah, now like it's it's a new enough technology, so I don't think any trainers has really seen the likes of it before because when they hear of this technology, they think I'm going to be slapping 20 markers on their horse and video them as they walk by. But with the new technology, we could just walk the horse by the camera and we could pick up 52 different points on the horse. So any tiny imbalance 
that's that's getting picked up by us. Well, let's get stuck into the weekend preview. And before I get your thoughts on the big races, gentlemen, let's talk to the co-trainer of the defending champion and current 15-2 to two chance for the King George VI and Queen Elizabeth Kipco Stakes, William Yor. William, welcome back to the Final Front Podcast. Great to have your company. Yeah, thank you very much, Emmett. Thank you. The last time I spoke to you was this time last year when you were preparing to run Piledriver in the race and you were incredibly bullish that it was going to come off and your son-in-law ended up uh, co-hosting the show with me and Martin was incredibly bullish that he was going to win as well. Uh, if you just take us back to that moment, what did it feel like when he pulled it off and won? Well, I mean, it's hard to explain because you just, yeah, the excitement's unbelievable. You just, yeah, I don't know really. We just, it was one of those dream days that you never think probably was going to happen, but it did. And yeah, he, he done everything we, we we thought he could do and more. And I know hopes were very high for him, aiming towards the arc and uh, other major international races as well. And that obviously didn't quite happen to the point that we didn't get to see him until Royal Ascot this year. And you were expecting him to improve from that run, which is quite frightening uh, for his rivals this weekend. Um, that's his second Royal Ascot win as well. Just to take us back to that moment too, to get him back on the track, but in a in a winning mode at the Royal Meeting. What did that mean to you? Well, that was unbelievable because without doubt, I went there knowing the horse was not 100% hard fit. He um, he wasn't match fit. I mean, most people that listen to talk sport knows, you know, players go on after injury, they come back and they play 70 minutes. This horse was about at the same stage and to do what he'd done was just pretty incredible. Um, so we went there knowing that he is a right competitor and he does defy most things, but not expecting the win. I was, you know, the week before my owner said, if we get there and finish in the fifth or sixth, we'll be delighted. So as you can say, so when he went and won it, it was like loads of emotions all at one time. It was an incredible day. The horse has done nothing but improve since he's now got to where I want him. He's match fit and he's improved from from Royal Ascot. There's several different ways of looking at this race, but one of them is he's unbeaten at Ascot over a mile four. Uh, he's a dual Royal well, Ascot he, winner. He, he's, he's the defending champion. He, well, that's exactly right. He Listen, he merits his place in the race, and it is a championship race. We will know exactly today what the, what the runners are, but it's a championship race, and we will see what goes there, but he merits his chance. Do you feel he's being underestimated yet again by the bookmakers. I don't mind, to be honest. The bookmaking side, it doesn't matter. I mean, I know I've got the horse really right and I don't I don't mind what the bookmakers say or, or what anybody, they say, he goes out there and it's he goes out there and puts everything down. If he's good enough, he'll win it. If he's second or third, we'll be absolutely as proud as punch with him because he's a big, big time player. Pedigrees are a fascinating aspect to racing. Luxembourg cost well over a million. Uh, Piledriver, significantly less. Um, and, and his pedigree wouldn't be anywhere near as fashionable as Luxembourg's. And yet, he's done what he's done. He's a multiple Group 1 winner. What kind of characteristics and qualities does he show you at home? Well, he's always been a very proud... Um, he walks around with loads of presence about him. When he does his work, he, he just... He's just there. He's not one of those that show off and beat other horses 10 lengths. He does his work. You know when you've got him right. You know when he's in his great place. 
And he just, when he walked around the parade ring at Royal Ascot five weeks ago, he walked around that paddock and he looked an absolute million. And that's what he's like. He stands out. He looks at the crowd. He, he likes what he does. And he's just got presence of great people, great horses. Covering the Hardwick Stakes on uh, TalkSport 2, one of the most interesting stewards' inquiries I've ever seen in that Ryan Moore took no interest in it whatsoever. He literally lay back in a chair staring at the ceiling knowing, I'm not going to get this race. This is this is pointless. But he has displayed those wandering tendencies a couple of times now. What do you put that down to? I personally put it down to everybody's got their own opinion. I think he's done it twice since Ledger when we went beyond his stamina, but he still tries his heart out. So he's on empty. He might and come back and said... He doesn't stay mine six and a half. He was on fumes. He's rolled around because there's nothing left in the tank. When I went to Royal Ascot five weeks ago, I told you he wasn't match fit. And he still wanted to die on his sword for you. So he rolls around trying to go faster. There's nothing left in the tank. But he really wants to dig deep. And he wanders. And when a jockey tries to pull him back straight, he changes lead legs and he goes very quickly the other way because he's basically, there's nothing left in him. But when he when he won Royal Ascot before, dead straight. When he went to Hong Kong, dead straight. Shima Classic, dead straight. So it's not every time he does. People can say he runs around from the stick, possibly, but I don't believe that. I don't believe this horse. This horse is as hard as a bullet. I mean, he, he, you you see what what he what he does and what he takes. I'm certainly one of those pro coaches. Never gonna never gonna worry this lad. I can tell you. Yeah, exactly. You were incredibly open and engaging with me last year when I was asking you about uh, the finances of racing and the the pressures the trainers are under. And as we're a year down the road and we've seen colleagues of yours leave the sport, including Oliver Sherwood, who has made it very clear that he would have remained a trainer were it financially viable to do so. uh, I think a lot of people would have been very taken with what Roger Varian had to say in the Racing Post's this week that uh, people would have look at him and think big time Charlie, lots of money floating around and, and making it very clear. That's not the case at all. What is your current opinion on the finances in racing? I, I can tell you if I wasn't a grafter, I drive the horse box. Chris drives the horse box. If we didn't do that and we didn't work like we work, I wouldn't have survived the last four years. I'd have had to pack up. So I, I pushed myself. I'm probably working harder now. We got back last night, and it was 10.30. I've been up since 5.30 this morning. I'm leaving in five minutes to go to take the box to go to Doncaster. It's just the only way we survive. The finances is, well, I look at my accounts. I try not to look at them because I cry. Um, so you, you just have to just keep going. I've been very lucky. I've got some fantastic loyal owners that supported me and been with me. And I feel that that would be the reason that I really, really pushed to try and keep it going because they're fantastic with me. I, I love the horses without any doubt, but the finances and the, and the way we lose money in this game, it's certainly not viable to do. The King George meeting at Ascot, it's a glamorous occasion, it's a stylish occasion, and that can be the opinion of flat racing, in particular flat racing, that it's it's a glamorous, stylish world, it's a it's a world of glitz and glamour. That's just not the reality of things. Well, uh, it's not. Listen, it looks like that on the day, because the day is magnificent. Take mm. our hat off to Ascot. It is a fantastic day. Royal Ascot, Ascot meeting King George... They are just unbelievable places, the big festivals to go to. If you're lucky enough to win one, you may survive 
in a yard like us, we might help us to survive for another year or so. I've interviewed Stuart Williams and Huey Morrison in recent months, and they've both painted a fairly bleak picture of, of racing, particularly racing in the UK. Do you feel the BHA are doing enough to course correct and, and to make things better, or is it just a straight-out fight? Listen, we all we can all moan and go. The only way <clears throat> the only way we can compete is like I just said there. If you can compete for prize money like we are, the pole driver has definitely helped me survive because we went around the world and he's close. Well, he's a smidgen off two million, yeah. but that's only because he went around the world and, and he won all that money in Hong Kong and, and Dubai. Now, if he hadn't, we'd have been. Yes, the King George worth a lot of money because it's one of our prestige races. So to win that, we won a, a very good chunk of money but if it, if you go the run of the mill they don't you know we've got horses one two three races they don't pay their training fees the only way we can survive is when we go and sell them hopefully the owners get their money back and a bit more owners do this because they love the game we have got some fantastic owners in this country that stick with us because they love this game i think that's very worrying as well because that's something huey morrison pointed out that essentially if you've got a, a three-year-old who wins a three-year-old handicap, or if you've got a, a horse who can sometimes even go close in an older horse handicap, you're almost looking at the owners and saying, he's not going to come down the weights for quite some time. You're better off to just sell him now. Well, Paul Driver, great example. When Paul Driver was a three-year-old, he won at Royal Ascot. These owners were, oh, were offered life-changing sums of money. Now, if it had been anybody else owned that horse on their own, he'd have been sold. We wouldn't have kept him. He'd have gone to Hong Kong. No, no question about it. He'd have been in Hong Kong. Three owners, they love the game. They want it. They want to actually be there with the dream. They don't want to think about it. They want to actually experience this dream, and that's why they didn't sell him. But anybody else would have sold this horse, and we would not have had him. What a loss to the game he would have been. Um, to wrap up with you, beyond this race, what are your long-term plans for Paul Driver? Well, our long term has always been King King George Ark, and then maybe <clears throat> maybe we could go Breeders' Cup in Hong Kong again. But I mean, the main targets this year was King George Ark. You've got the and he may have one run. He might have one run in between those. He might go to Judmont, which would be dropping back in trip, which is not our ideal trip. But we'd rather drop back than go forward, or we go the September stakes just to do a prep race before the Ark. He's a wonderful horse, William. It's very, very exciting for yourself, for Chris, PJ, uh, the owners and the entire team, and you've got a massive fan base cheering you on as well. Very best of luck to you this weekend. Emmett, thank you very much, and let's hope he can just pull it out for us. Once again, a top British trainer pulling no punches in an interview on the Final Furlong podcast about the current landscape of British racing, and look, there's a lot clearly has to be done to fix the current situation but also on a brighter note this is a weekend preview and we are building up to the highlight of the weekend the king george but he sounded very bullish to me and why wouldn't he be he's got a dual royal ascot winner including a hardwick stakes winner last time out a multiple group one winner and the defending champion of this race i think he's going to go super close john but who do you like from a betting perspective in the king george the sixth and queen elizabeth diamond sticks well i'm i'm quite keen to take the three-year-olds on at the head of the market um Owen Burroughs was saying in the build-up that he was worried about the weight that the older horses have got to give the three-year-olds, but it hasn't really made that much of a difference in recent years. I think in the last 30 years, only six three-year-olds have won, and two of those are fillies, so they had the sex allowance as well. Um, Augusto O'Dan and King of Steel pulled miles clear in the Epsom Derby, but um, the form of that race, you, you can't really read too much into it at the moment. 
I thought August Rodin was quite underwhelming in the Irish derby. Um, King of Steel won nicely at Royal Ascot, but it, it was a very weak race that he won. So I'm, I'm quite keen to take the three-year-olds on. Um, I'm a bit worried about the Coral Eclipse run for Emily Upjohn as well, uh, being three weeks ago, and it was a very hard run. Um, after the race, Brian Moore seemed sort of almost a little bit underwhelmed by Paddington's performance, I thought. The first thing he said was he could have run better and he thought he was a bit vulnerable. And Emily Upjohn had the whole straight at Sandown to, to reel him in and couldn't manage it. And that run came just three weeks ago and it's quite a sharp turnaround, especially when she finished last in the race last year. Um, the one I like most is Pile Driver. So I'm, I'm delighted to hear that William Muir has said some some glowing things about him in the build-up. Um, he's, he's always underestimated, Pile Driver is, mm. especially considering he's the, the highest rated horse in the field. I thought um, thought his Hardwick Stakes win was the perfect preparation, considering that, um, I'm sure Muir said in the interview beforehand that He'd only had um, two serious pieces of work going into Royal Ascot. So for him to win that race, I thought was a was a bonus. Um, he's got a fantastic record at Ascot. He's won three of his four starts there. He won the Coronation Coronation Cup on good soft ground. So he think he'll deal with the conditions. And I just think, um, yeah, at seven to one, he's probably the most the most solid betting prospect, I thought. Yeah, he's getting no love in the betting at all, and that's music to our ears. Um, yeah, if you fancy definitely. him like you do, John, and, and listen, I fancy him as well. Um, there's there's another horse I quite like in the race too, but I think he's too big a price um, at he is. There's some flashy ones in front of him, and, and look, obviously, August Rodin and King of Steel are, are two of those. Um, I, I'm not so sure about that Royal Ascot win from King of Steel. I, I admired what he did that day, but a lot of people got hyped, including me. I got very excited about that performance. So the more I look back on it, if August Roden was running in that race, he'd have won it by further, I think. Like, he just, he did what you would have expected him to do as an even-money favourite at Royal Ascot, beating horses who are restricted. It's an age-restricted race. And he was beating horses that he'd pretty much beaten already in the Derby. Um, he also bids to be the first horse to does, who has not won a Group 1 uh, to win the King George since postponed in 2015. And postponed is kind of an outlier. He's one of the very few to have done it. Uh, so that's not exactly ideal for him. Uh, Emily Upjohn bids to follow in the footsteps of Daydream to Gruda and, of course, uh, Enable, who dominated this race for her trainer, John Gosden. Um, question is, though, Stephen, who do you like in the King George? Um, this is one that I've kind of been mulling over a while. Like, you can make a case for pretty much every horse in the race and I'm going to make a case for one of the at a wild price as well later but like I think August Rodin versus King of Steel like if you're having a match bet uh, August Rodin, Rodin versus King of Steel if it was a two horse race I think August Rodin would be one to three like I don't see King of Steel over overcoming that that Epsom run like I know Kevin Stott said he got to the front too early and he was he was kind of laboring a bit at the front with no one to to aim at but if you looked at the two of them finishing that race they pulled well clear of third and fourth the two of them together and august rodan was just able to pick him up fairly easily now at the end and come out a winner i i am worried a bit about august rodan's run the last day um i saw ken peterson was saying that in the paddock before he didn't look that right that he seemed a bit off and I think, like, as a three-year-old, if you're running 
the Epsom Derby one month, the Irish Derby the next month. It's a lot to take on a third Group One race at such a high caliber. Um, so then I started looking further down the field, and I landed on Emily Upjohn because obviously she gets a bit of weight. She's one of the classiest horses in the race. I know Hookham now. He's coming into this race. A lot of people are fancying him because of the ground, but. If Emily Upjohn is going to be aimed at the arc, this race, she should be finishing at least first or second in this race, especially on the ground, because you'll be getting similar ground in September, October. Um, now, one at a wild price is, and this is kind of me just reading into it too much, but I was looking at the Irish Derby and I saw how sort of the team tactics for the O'Briens was so successful. They got the one, two, three, four in that race. And he scrolled all the way down to Point Lansdale. Now, he had a bad run on good to firm the last time. And Emily Upjohn and Westover, they finished him fairly easy. But he's won on heavy. He's won on soft. He's going to be a pacemaker. And I think a lot of people overlook the pacemakers. But if you look at, say, Library the last day, 80 to 1, almost did it against Save the Last Dance, who was highly regarded. So these pacemakers shouldn't really be forgotten. Like, he only went off 7 to 2 against Emily Upjohn and um, Westover. So... Like at 100 to 1, it's it's worth a little squeak or even if you're getting each way extra because he'll be up there for a lot of the race. He handles the ground and he could finish well. There's also no guarantee that he is just going to be a pacemaker. I mean, if you, yeah, if like you the, talk to Aidan O'Brien, he'll tell you, no, our, our horse is running their merits. And I, I don't dispute that, by the way, but like obviously some horses are gunned from the front for, uh, for obvious reasons. But Adelaide River was, um, was ridden very handily in the Irish Derby and then plugged on. Yeah, um, the library shout is a is a really really good one. I mean, she was a wild price. She was eighties, uh, and she's yeah. run she's run an extraordinary race from the front there. Um, so it it's probably going to be that Bolshoi Ballet goes and makes it, and he sits in behind. And once when, when Bolshoi Ballet begins to tire, the plan I would imagine is that Adam Adam Kirby then takes it up on Point Lonsdale. By the way, side note: great that Adam Kirby is riding, and I'm delighted that he's on board for for Aiden O'Brien. Um, he's a top class jockey who has been struggling with his weight this season. He's not helped at all by the fact that the saunas have been removed, although there could be movement on that. We'll bring you that more on the final front podcast on TalkSport 2 very, very soon. But he's only had 69 rides this year since January. So it's it's terrific to see him in action. Um, and he's exactly the kind of guy you want on board here. Yeah. I like this. There'll be plenty of people will be scoffing at this, you know. Um, I know. Yeah, that's. I was laughing at myself when I came down on it. What a way to make your debut on the podcast, tipping up 100 to 1, no hoper. Well, what if he goes and what if he finishes in the first three? What if he pulls off the upset of all upsets? King status. You'll be goaded, Stephen, uh, if yeah. that happens instantly. Um, Point Lonsdale, I think that's a really, really good shout. I, this is a more open race than, than might, people might think as well. Um, I, yeah, I, and you have to think of the, the jockeys at the head of the market. They're all going to be eyeing each other up. Like Emily Upjohn wants to come late and take them all at the end. Yeah. So like he could get a bit of a split off Bolshoi Ballet and just keep going. And all the other lads in behind will be fighting over each other pretty much. Yeah. Um, this is a fascinating race. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to be dogmatic about anything. Um, yeah. If we can get the... If you're giving me even money in the match bet, August Roden, King of Steel, I'm taking that all day long because I agree with you. He should be threes on. Um, 100%. I, I'm yeah. very, very bullish that August Roden will finish in front of King of Steel. Cue me having to eat humble pie and getting a, a face full of it 
on Monday's show with Louis Stewart when we were reviewing it. Uh, and we'll also have Dennis Oregon on, by the way, as we preview the Galway races as well. But still, as the Shows Your Papers WhatsApp betting group goes completely bananas there. Um, oh, we're going to do another affordability check episode next week as well, by the way, with a professional punter because things are going absolutely bonkers in that division. Um, but I, I'm very bullish that August Roden's going to finish in front of King of Steel. Am I so bullish that he's going to win it, though? No. I hope he does. Because I think racing needs a, a proper superstar like him. And if, if it turns out that I'm wrong and King of Steel goes and does it, great. Like, that's, that's fantastic. Um, I, I, Louis and I talked about this after the Irish Derby, that this was the race we wanted to see him go for in August Roden. Because I don't think he's going to win a Group 1 over 10 furlongs. And I'm happy to be proved wrong about that as well. Um, it, it would seem pretty apparent to me that Paddington is the leading... 10 furlong horse. Maybe the Irish champion stakes would be ideal for August Roden. We shall see, but he's got to pass this test first of all. Um, Hookham, no thanks to the prices. I think Pile Driver is the absolute standout at, at the price she is. Uh, Luxembourg has been an old friend of mine. He bids to be the first horse since 2008 to win the King George with no winning form over a mile four. But that horse was Duke of Marmalade, trained by Edna O'Brien. And Luxembourg is 14s here. Like he was two to one favorite for the Prince of Wales Stakes. I think that was a nightmare of a race. I covered it live for Talksport. Um, I don't think for a month of Sundays Mustadaf will ever produce a performance like that in his life ever again. Uh, if he does, great. But he's currently the highest rated horse in Europe. Okay, uh, we shall see. But this this could work out really nicely nicely for Luxembourg. And I think at fourteen to one, he's just a little bit too big. So it's between Piledriver and Luxembourg. I'll split my stakes between the two of them. Um, I'd probably do Luxembourg each way. Paul Driver's a win-only bet for me. Um, let's get the let's get your one, two, three. John, who's your one, two, three for the King George? Ooh, um, I've I've come down the side of Paul Driver, so I'll, I'll go for Paul Driver's number one. Um, I'll take Augusto Dan to finish second, and Westover to come in and take third. Because um, Westover is a very easy race. He won the Grand Prix de Paris, but. He set a fantastic time. I think it was a course record time from from what I read. So um, I, I don't think he should be underestimated. So I'll take Paul Driver to beat August Rodin and then Westover in third. He's 16 to 1. Um, there's a chance he doesn't run if it stays soft ground or gets very soft. There's a chance he comes out. But 16's about him. I'm not going to put anybody off that at all. Um, you're 1, 2, 3, Stephen. I won't be putting Point Lansdale number one, but um, oh, do it. August Rodan. <laughs> no, August Rodan, I think, like, if he's anything like Aidan O'Brien talked about him at the start of the year, he should win this. And he has the measure of King of Steel. It's just, and they get the weight allowance, but I'm just a bit iffy about three-year-olds versus four-year-olds. I don't know how they'll get on, but number one, August Rodan. Number two, Emily Upjohn. I think she's very, very classy. One of the classiest in the field, and three, I'll have to put Point Lansdale. I'll go Paul Driver, Luxembourg, Emily Upjohn. One, two, three. There's your tricast. Easy game, folks. Easy game. Uh, let's go back in time, back to the future, to the 150, the Bateau London Princess Margaret Stakes Group 3. Uh, symbology for Clive Cox and Russell Ryan is your 11 to 4 favourite from Pretty Crystal for Richard Fahey and Ushin Orr, 3 to 1 shot. Same price for Soprano, George Bowie, and Frankie Dettori. Uh, Kevin Stott and Dominic French Davis with Combat. The Ammo Racing Juveniles have been going well, although would need to improve from her effort at Royal Ascot, uh, which wasn't terrible, but just she did. To be fair, she was a 66 to one shot that day, but still, it just needs to step forward. Uh, seven to one shot. And Dazzling Star, who I quite like for Charlie Appleby and William Buick, is a nine to one shot. Stephen, take it away this time. Um, 
I was a bit down on Soprano, but I watched him run there two hours ago, was it? And I think he came third. And like it's less than 40, 48 hours now till the next race. So I'd be very, very wary about him. Um, the favorite symbology, uh, his York race was very impressive. Like the ground could be soft, good to soft. And if you watch him in York the last day over six furlongs, I know I'm probably bringing my stride analysis into this here, but his knee action was perfect for that ground. He grabs grabs the dirt, gets through it easily. Um, and I know he's the favorite, but I, I think symbology should have the measure of a lot of these. John. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that symbology would be my best bet on the on the whole Saturday card. Damn, I, I thought she ran absolutely brilliantly at York. She was she was quite slowly away, and she was caught on the outside of the field. But um, the way she finished off the race, and she she took down the the market leader quite comfortably in the end. Um, she's she's a beautifully built filly. She's lovely grey, um, half sister to, no half sister to El Cabello. So she's got got some good breeding by Havana Grey as well, who is all their progeny seem to love soft ground. Um, Clive Cox's runners are just coming into a bit of form. I think um, I think she'll take plenty of beating. Uh, dazzling star for me at nine to one. I know we've talked in depth about Charlie Appleby's form and yay or nay, but when they're a big price, uh, I think you have to take them pretty seriously. She showed plenty of promise on her debut, despite being very very green. Uh, that was back in June at Kempton and took a big step forward on her most recent outing at Kempton, where. She showed a really nice turn of foot. We covered that race on TalkSport 2. I was very impressed with her. I thought she's a horse to follow. Uh, and I will do so this weekend. Uh, we shall switch. Well, I was going to say we're going to switch to York for the Skybet Jump Jockeys Nunthorpe. However, I asked the two lads via WhatsApp beforehand, if there's any race you don't want to talk about, that's just just let me know. We'll skip it. And they both, independent of one another, went, I don't care about the Junk Jockeys Championship. This is an opportunity for us to bet on Paul Townend uh, on the flat, Sam Tristan Davis, Gavin Sheehan, all Daryl Jacob, Brian Hughes, Sean Bowen, Shawnee Quinlan, all your old favorites. And the two lads are like, nah, skip. It'll be a fun one to watch all the same, but I think if, if you have a bet on it, you may as well get all the runners and try to put a pin in one and just guess because i think it's very hard to read into the form of these races even if you look at the last few years uh the winners always come from either no form or an older horse coming in back into form so it's very hard to tell paul mitchell is trained three of the last five winners but he's got about 10 runners in the race so trying to figure out which of his is the best is incredibly difficult so i'll, I'll leave that one alone i think yeah i had noticed that a uh, shout out to lucy russell hughes who's on Talksport 2 with me tomorrow friday uh it was either last year or the year before she put up a horse for that race Nobody else put the horse up and caused a monumental gamble. The horse goes and wins. So shout out to Lucy, who's back on the show very, very soon. All right, 225, uh, I'd ask it, is the Longines Valiant Stakes Group 3 Random Harvest. Uh, heads the betting at 5-2 to two for Ed Walker and Safi Osborne. Uh, Roger Varian and David Egan have got Amnaya. Uh, should have just said it with confidence and quickly. We might have got away with it. 3-1, uh, to one, Thornbrook for William Buick and Joseph O'Brien. Fives and Cadu Bell for Johnny Murta and Jamie Spencer, uh, an 11-2 to two shot. John, who do you like? Well, I was planning on backing Cadu Bell at the weekend at the Cora before the Sunday card got called off. Um, I thought she won really nicely on debut and then um, she followed up in a listed race last time out. I don't know whether it's just the camera angle at Navan, but the way she tanked into the race along the outside of the field was, was fantastic. And then she won going away from the field. Um, 
I don't think the British Challenge are up to that much in this race. And she's as a three-year-old, she'll get plenty of weight. Jamie Spencer booked in to ride at Ascot is always a good thing. Um, I'm going to back Johnny Murta's rider. I agree with you. I think there's a question mark over the favourite. Um, I think Johnny's going to have two winners on Saturday. Well, on my bank account, is hoping he's going to have two winners anyway. Uh, and that was a really, really convincing performance in a listed race last time out. So I'm, I'm very much with her, and she's a fairly decent price as well. Uh, 11 to 2, I think, is very, very fair, uh, and Jamie should suit her. Um, Stephen, who are you with? Um, I'm kind of from a similar area that the, the English horses don't have too much form there, but I'm landed on Tornbrook. Um, she, I saw her in her maiden in Leopardstown last summer, and she was an absolute beast of a horse, like huge, very muscly. So I'll be waiting for before the race just to check if she's in the same form or same figure. But like she's an absolute animal of the horse. And the last day at Chantilly, on good to soft as well, she won a decent enough race there. They probably got a bit unnoticed because it was over in France. Um, but Joseph's only sending one over. Uh, this weekend and it's her so I think she has a very very good chance yeah that's a very fair shout uh, given my French pronunciations have been absolutely abysmal can you just remind us of where that racetrack was that Thornbrook ran in recently <laughs> Chantilly <laughs> have you been John have you been to Chantilly I haven't no um, <laughs> I'd like to though it sounds, sounds very exotic <laughs> somewhere Laurent Barbaran He's walking around and his left ear is starting to just burn and tingle. He's like, oh, no, sacre bleu. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Uh, all right, this is our first trip to York. Uh, the Skybet Dash Handicap. Lethal Levi is your 15-2 to two favorite. Uh, nice run last time out after not beaten far at Ascot, although he did finish 15th of 27. Uh, which was frustrating for me because I had him back that day. Oh, well. Um, Abraham Gold for David O'Mara on second start for the yard. Mark Wynn takes three off as a nine-to-one shot. Same price for Mondamage. And our old favourite, Summer Gan, David O'Mara, Jason Watson. This is the day for the old favourite. He's a ten-to-one shot. Um, John, let's start with you. Who do you like for our, the first race we're talking about at York? I don't have a particularly strong opinion. Um, Spirit handicaps at York wouldn't be my forte. Although I do like to back horses who are drawn on the high side of the track. And you've got Lethal Levi and Abraham Gold, who usually like to go forward. They've been drawn in uh, 12 and 13. Um, I quite like Hyperfocus, despite him being the oldest horse in the field. Um, and he's drawn on the right side of the track, and he, he likes to get on with things. Um, he finished fourth in the race last year. Um, he didn't run very well at Hamilton last time, but his two performances before that were very good. And so 16 to 1. Could, um, might get you a squeak of place money, so I'll, I'll go with him. Only, only a very small bet. All of his best form comes on flat tracks, and he goes very well on soft as well, although without a win at York, but he has placed there twice uh, in 10 runs. I like that. Um, Stephen, your, your pick. To be honest, I don't really have much of an opinion in this race. Um, oh, you I just hate really York, do don't you? You just dislike <laughs> <Yeah>. York. <laughs> I love York. It's just... These dash handicaps, I, I always find them a bit of a minefield. Like one always just comes through the pack and you're like, oh, why didn't I find him before? So look, I'll, I'll leave this one out. Uh, I'm going to go with our old friend Summer Gant. Um, he has not hit the heights of last year so far this year, but he's now well handicapped on a market 97. And David O'Mara's team are in terrific form. 11 winners in the last 14 days. 
Summergand. This is this is his moment. Uh, speaking of York, by the way, we're teaming up with them to give Final Fallen Podcast listeners the chance to head to Coolmore Nunthorpe Day. As part of the Ebor meeting, we will have... Is it is it two pairs of three tickets, or is it three pairs of three tickets? I think it might be three. We'll confirm all that. Um, but they're replicating what Galway did. And uh, well done to our winners for Galway. I hope you have a fantastic time. But your chance to be at the York Ebor Festival with the Final Forum Podcast. We'll tell you more about that on next week's show. But make sure you've hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. As we go back to ask it for the Moet. Very important we get the pronunciation correct here. Moet and Shandon International Stakes. Biggles is your 6-1 to favorite. Boy, was he good under Ryan Moore. Uh, a couple of days ago, or a few days ago, on TalkSport 2. Fresh, last year's winner for James Franchot and Danny Tuttle, a 6-1 to one shot. Uh, Baradar, George Bowie, and Kevin Stott, 7. Spangle Mac, 10s. And Northern Express, 12-1. to one. Stephen, who do you like? Um, I wasn't going to have a bet in this race, but, like, you can't, you can't discount Biggles. Like, fire one race in the last, what, eight races that was on good to firm. He's finished first, second, third, second, first, first, third, first, first, first. Like that's ridiculous form coming in. So he's, I know he's six, but he's definitely on the improve. And he only got put up, I think it was, was it three pounds from the last race? Mm. And like, even in that last race, he was always there. And as soon as the gap opened, he just flew through it. Ryan Moore back up again. Like, I, I can't get away from him. Like, I know these heritage handicaps, they're sometimes a bit of a minefield. Like you can see them split into two on the track and stuff like that. But I think... Uh, Biggles, he potentially is, he's a graded horse. So, yeah, I'm going for Biggles. He was unlucky at the Royal Meeting. He was drawn on the wrong side. Uh, and he was yeah. very heavily backed that day as well. He went up to 13 to 2 favourite. But that performance at Newmarket on July Cup Day, that was really, really impressive. Uh, John, who are you with? I am sort of loath to desert Biggles. I, I put Biggles up for the Bunbury Cup on the website and oh. he, he won that so, so impressively. I mean, it wasn't really the most. Uh, most imaginative selection, but he, he won nicely. Hey, and a five to one winner is a five to one winner. It is, yeah. I'll take every win I can get. <laughs> um, I, I am a bit worried about the draw because, um, as I like to do in the build up to these big handicaps, I like to flick back through and find the trends for them. And in the last 10 years, 75% of the top five places were drawn in um, double figure stalls. And Biggles is drawn in six, and Fresh is down in four. So that, they could get in a bit of trouble with the draw. It's only usually in the Royal Hunt Cup where you see a, see a horse steaming down the down the inside rail to win. I, I prefer to back them when they're down the centre of the track or a bit wider. Um, at the Royal meeting, I did really fancy Vafortino. Um, he's got an excellent record at Ascot. He's a former winner of the Victoria Cup and he ran well in the race again. Um, I don't think he was going to really challenge at the Royal meeting, but he did get cut up at a crucial point. And that stopped his momentum. And then he he came back with a cracking run at York last time. Now it, it was his first ever run at York, and he was only beaten ahead. Um, Kaya Frazier has been brought in to take the ride, and he takes five pounds off, and he's drawn quite nicely in stall twelve. So I'll, I'll definitely be having a bet on Vaffortino, and then I'll take one at a much longer price as well, which I haven't picked out yet. Uh, it's fresh for me. I completely get your concerns about the draw, but. On the plus side, Heaven's Guest did win from two in 2015, and Dania uh, from stall four two years ago. Um, I backed him at the Royal Meeting as well. Look, he obviously goes very well at Ascot. He's scored twice over the course and distance last year. He's been, I believe, he's been working well. This has been the plan since Royal Ascot. Um, I think he's a very, very strong contender, and at the prices, I'll, I'll go with him. 
I, I'm reluctant to go against Biggles, but I just wonder if everything went right from the last day and if it's going to going to come unstuck this time. But he's clearly thriving, and Stephen made a very very solid case for him, so I, I, I wouldn't put anybody off him. Uh, back to York for the Skybet stakes, the Group Two. Over 10 furlongs, or 10 and a half furlongs to be precise. Uh, My Prospero is your 5 to 4 favourite. Uh, Royal Champion, 9 to 2. Alalifa, uh, same price. Check and challenge in a first time Pfizer, 12 to 1. And Mashore, uh, 11 to 2. Should have put him in in the middle. This is the other horse I think is going to win for Johnny Murta over the weekend. But um, let's begin with you, John. Who do you like at York? Um, well, I thought this was all about My Prospero. And I'd, I'd be amazed if he didn't go off an odds on price. So if you if you do like the favourite, and I think still you can get about five to four now, you're probably better off taking that now because um, um, he's on ratings he's quite a long way clear. Um, he ran a cracking race in the in the Champion Stakes last year to finish third. Um, ran really well in the Lockings. Ran ran okay in a in a funny enough race at the Royal Meeting, but I mean if if he's a group he's a Group One horse, then he he should be winning this fairly comfortably. I'd have thought. Yeah, certainly on ratings, he's a pound clear of on Burroughs horse, but he's miles clear of, of my selection, Mashore. Like, he's nine pounds clear of him. Um, and on racing post ratings, I should say, his official rating is 121, which has him well clear as well. Um, I don't know, I'm not... Th- that race in Ascot was a funny one. It was a very, very odd one. And obviously, Adiar has been beaten since. Classic Causeway probably had no chance last time out, but he got lapped. Um, we haven't seen Baybridge, and uh, this is we're going to see Luxembourg in the King George, and I think he'll run a big race there. I, I just don't know if I want to be taking five to four about him, but I could absolutely see the case that he could very well be odds on. And Stephen may be about to say he's the nap of the weekend. Um, I very much like my Prospero. Um, that run with in the Prince of Wales, just just behind Luxembourg, like what was he two and a half lengths behind Luxembourg? Yeah, like. I very much like Luxembourg, but just not for the race tomorrow. Um, and he's been well touted. And even towards the end of the race, he was pulling away from Baybridge, who's also a very, very good horse. Now, I know the, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation here, Alf Leila. Um, like, he's been off almost 300 days. So you don't really know where he's going to be. Like, his last race at Newmarket, when he pulled away from Ottoman Fleet, that was very impressive. But again, it was almost 300 days ago. It's the first race of the season, so there's obviously a reason for that. So I'd be a bit tentative about him. So I think my Prospero at the price is, um, is definitely a good shout. I might be flip-flopping here and putting him into the win lucky 63 for Saturday. You both might have talked me into this. There's just there's something about it. The more I went through it this morning, the more I went, I don't know if I trust you to do this. But if he is able to bounce back, certainly on the line through the Luxembourg run, He'd have to have a huge chance. Uh, I'd have concerns about Umbro's horse as well. Why has he been off this length of time? And also, that was a Group 3. He was visually impressive, and he's entitled to step up into Group 2 company, but my Prospero has genuine Group 1 form, and they're both carrying the same weight. So, yeah, I'm going to take a chance, though, with Johnny's horse. Um, Just been thriving. That was a really impressive all-the-way victory in Group 3 at the Curra last time out. Absolutely blew his rivals apart. He needs to step up, and he needs to find something. I think it's there, though. And at eleven to two, that's the thing that sways it for me. Just I think he's too big a price. So I'm not sure for Johnny Murta and Ben Cohen. Um, finally, lads, the and I, I need your help on this one. Uh, the Pat Edery 
a listed race over seven furlongs. This time last year, we were getting super excited about Charlie Appleby's winner, Naval Power. He's won three of the last four runnings of this race. Did you both know that Naval Power is now gelded? No. Yeah, that that uh, that project went badly wrong. That derailed very quickly. But hey, he's been gelded, and a number of the Godolphin horses have really thrived since they did that. Um, although he has zero entries, so we shall see. Um, but Charlie Appleby does have a fantastic record in this race, and uh, he's got a a nice, interesting young horse in Ancient Wisdom, who who they got really cheaply at the sales. John, this was a a really shrewd purchase. Just the two million euro. Cheapest chips. Pocket change for a good offer. <laughs> well, literally it is. <laughs> he, he, would, he would find that down his spare sofa in the in the back room. Um what do you make of this race? Um yeah, I'd have, I'd have thought that the favourite will will take a whole heap of beating, especially now the ITV cameras have turned off. Um I'm, I'm sure Charlie Appleby will think it's a bit after the Lord Mayor's show, not having a runner in the King George which um, I'm sure he'll be devastated about. But, yeah, Ancient Wisdom, on his on his two wins so far this season, um, you can't really see anything past him, can you? And uh, there's a lot of soft ground form in the dam side of his breeding. I think she was a Group 3 winner and won on heavy ground in France. So I can't see the conditions causing him any problems. So, um, yeah, all aboard the favourite again. Yeah, no Godolphin runner in the Goodwood Cup. No Godolphin runner in the big two-year-old race at Goodwood and no runner in the King George. It's very odd. Very, very odd. Uh, but this fella could be a star. In the Coral yeah, look, they've missed an awful lot of, of big races this season and for an operation of that scale and size. Look, they've clearly had problems in terms of uh, yard fitness, virus, rapeseed, whatever the hell it is. Something's been, been going on there. But to miss as many key races as they have this season... It's just, it's eyebrow raising. Um, Stephen, uh, final race for us. What do you like? I think if I was to have a bet, you'd have to go with uh, the Appleby horse because, like, he's won both the starts, cost two million at, as a yearling. Like, they obviously noticed something. He's very well bred. And, like, was said, um, his mammy was good over soft ground as well. So, you really can't look past that. Um, now it's it's late in the day in in Ascot, so I think I'd be a bit tentative now. If I was up, I'd I'd back it at evens, but um, yeah, I'd be a bit wary now. Why did they start it in a group or a, kind of a very low class race in Newmarket or no? Sorry, in Haydock. Um, don't know why they started it there and went to Newmarket then in a similar race. Um, but yeah, I think you can't really look fast past the favourite in this one. Yeah, that's a very fair point to make. It's been class four races he's been running in. It's not yeah. like they've... they've no, I, I don't expect them to throw him in at the deep end. But why are you going back for a class four? We've flown through this. Big question is, though, who is your nap of the weekend? Your best bet. Uh, John, we'll begin with you. Well, symbology in the Princess Margaret State. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what could... Be two of us. What could Stephen's nap be? <laughs> not Point Lansdale anyway, but yeah, symbology. In an epic King George, I'm going to side with Piledriver in a cowardly each-way bet, but he is my nap of the weekend. That's what I'm going to go for, but symbology all the way uh, for the final Furlong Podcast posse. Uh, expect a sea of money to fly in for him. Uh, Stephen and John, absolutely stellar stuff on your debut. Really enjoyed your company, and please, God, looking forward to speaking to you both again on the podcast very soon. Thanks for having me.
Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. And thank you for listening. Really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, we've got a new competition going, a £50 all-for-one, one-for-all gift voucher. Is it one-for-all? Thank you very much, Trish. One-for-all. 50 pound gift voucher. You'd think I'd get this stuff right at this point. Uh, it can be yours. All you have to do is tweet us a screen grab of you subscribe to the Final Forum podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Castbox, Podcast Republic, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addicts. Tune in. Did I say tune in already? Whichever podcast app it is you're listening to us on, you can email, Facebook, Instagram, or tweet us an image of you subscribed to the Final Forum Podcast or following the Final Forum Podcast and we will announce the winner next week. We'll give you full details about how you can enter our York competition as well. You and two friends on your way to Coolmore Nunthorpe Day as part of the York Ebor Festival. Details how you can win those tickets coming up on the Final Forum Podcast. On Monday, Louis Stewart will be here as we look back on a stellar renewal of the King George. We're also going to be looking ahead to Glorious Goodwood in Louis' company and we'll look ahead to the Galway races in the company of our old friend Dennis O'Regan. Really looking forward to the company for that show and looking forward to your company for it as well. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you very much for listening. Look after yourself and each other. God bless.